much you're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts, Sarah Cho. And Sam Collier. And today we thought we would talk about research. So how do you think about research when beginning a new play? And when do you start the research process? How do you know when to stop researching and start writing? Or I think some people start writing and then have to figure out when to start researching. So mm. all of the above. Um, so Sarah, oh gosh, there's like really loud motorcycle going by. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sarah, uh, how do you think about research? Which plays of yours have required research and how did you do it? Yeah. Um, I research in so many ways, <laughs> so many different ways. Um, but one of the things this question I like made me think about was, you know, before I, I, you know, went into writing at all was like, I went into school for filmmaking first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought I wanted to be a video editor, a film editor. And so like, uh, so I was, that's how it was my first approach to editing. And then during, during that process, I got onto like student documentary films where, and then I was like, Oh, maybe I want to go to documentary filmmaking. And now in documentary filmmaking, it's like the process is you're kind of filming everything. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of off the cuff kind of thing. You have your camera all times, you do interviews a lot, uh, and then you take those interviews and you do like a, you transcribe them all, you write it all. And you like, look at the dialogue, you look at all the oh, wow. transcription and you're like highlighting like, okay, this was like an interesting thing that this person says and like, go to this time code from this video and let, let's look at this. I never knew that. that. I never knew it was like, you do that. You look at the text, like you look at it mm-hmm. as text that's, and then go back. I'm sure it. it's all different, but like that's when one of my internships was working for this documentary filmmaker and like that was his process. Uh, and so I kind of like took that. And um, so, yeah, that's one. of I think that's one. And it's pretty common. I feel like that tr- tr- transcribing and taking the text. So and then you're like, take all this footage and often almost always documentary filmmakers they don't know what the story is yet they Mm -hmm. start putting the videos into the the editing timeline and then they start sculpting the story from there like oh here's like a chapter we could that this is what this could be about that moves into this next topic or transition or whatever so I feel like I kind of had this ingrained in me Mm -hmm. just kind of this way of thinking and so um early on when I was writing plays like in grad school I that's kind of that's how I'm what what how I was functioning like I was just absorbing taking everything and then just finding story from there pulling clips or like text and things like that that I thought it was interesting and putting into like a file um so I guess that's kind of one way how my brain works Mm -hmm. because of that um and so and I watch a lot of documentaries like (laughs) there's so many documentaries especially Um, about crimes yeah crimes yeah um but one of the play i wrote in in grad school was monopoly which was inspired by documentary detropia so my whole setting was in detroit and then like i pulled all that sort of the setting and the mood i guess from this documentary and did you so i've never really known this um did you 
watch that documentary and then decide to write the play? Or mm-hmm. did you know you wanted to write the play and then seek out that documentary? I first watched a documentary. Okay. And I felt inspired. Mm-hmm. But around this time, I was like, oh, man, I really want to write like a sister play. Like about, you know, a two-handers, two, about two sisters. Mm. And um, and so after watching this documentary, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it could – be this could be that setting um so yeah that's gotcha it's yeah yeah, it's 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 all kind of serendipitous in a way right it kind of like you're like in the moment you're like asking these questions you come across things and you're like oh okay I'm gonna put it all together and see what works Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I I feel like I really have two main plays for which I had to do a lot of research. Um, one is Quiet Witches, which I wrote in grad school also, which has a lot. I did a ton of research about um, the history of psychiatric hospitals in the U.S. and the way that um, women in particular were uh, locked away for all kinds of like invented diseases, um, as well as real mental health issues. But um like a lot of times if a woman, you know, just refused to go along with what her husband wanted to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> they would just like send her to a asylum so that he could remarry or whatever. Um, so, so I did a bunch of research for that play. And then also um, the play I wrote with the Goodman Playwrights Unit, um, which is called A Hundred Circling Camps, which is about the Bonus Army March. Um that one I did a, a bunch of research about the aftermath of World War One and um, the Great Depression and mm. um, and other protests throughout American history. So, wow. and that one is like part of the reason. I mean, I really need to do another like a big overhaul and rewrite of that play. And part of the reason I haven't done it yet is I just know that there's like a ton of research I have to do. Mm. as part of that process yeah i feel like that could be really overwhelming just the amount of information that's out there um and sometimes i feel like i don't wanna you need i don't know i'm like maybe because this is like my college student brain but like don't you want multiple resources to, you know <laughs> right, different right, right. uh point of views like different arguments and then make sure like you're serving all of it and i'm like Sometimes I'm just like, I like just one source, inspired by mm. one source. And I'm like, this is a lot here, just a lot of work with, and I just kind of absorb it and like let it go. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But it sounds like then sometimes you're like, then you doubt whether that's actually enough. Right. So how do you, how do you decide, like at what point in the process is it after the first draft or like after a couple drafts or mm-hmm. at what point are you like, Oh, I need to find more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, one of like a pilot I wrote, I was researching and outlining for like one year before I started writing a screenplay. I'm still researching. I'm like, and it's been wow. five years Yeah, because it's like a, it's a really, I'm, I'm constantly coming across new more questions like and I'm like then I just don't feel ready so um but I'm also like doing so many things at so many at so many times that I'm like mm. uh 
at some point you do just have to write um but i just feel like right now it just doesn't feel ready um well and the other thing too is i think sometimes especially if your play is about like something current or if it's about science uh or something else that's changing all the time then your play you you know you might have to rewrite it every two years (laughs) it's like right more information comes out or um as the thinking changes yeah so Um, that's a whole other question maybe also want to just like another approach to add to this all this entire conversation (laughs) before i move on but um Another way to to do research, you everyone, is go on a dating app uh, <laughs> and find a person that is in that profession that you're interested in and ask questions. Now, I didn't do this purposely. I just like wrote a play, and at that time, like this is before I wrote this play. Actually, sorry, I I went out with this one date with this one guy who was like a app developer, uh, designer, and like programmer, and I was just asking all these questions that. And I learned a lot. I didn't learn anything about him, but I learned what he did. <laughs> so are you wait, I, are you saying you um you like made it look as though you were interested in him romantically, but secretly you were just interested in him for his like No 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 at the time <laughs> I was actually like going on this date and actually interested, but then but then Came what came out of that date was all the conversations and the questions I asked about him, and that mm-hmm. kind of that that stuck with me. So I had this like like a little snapshot of a profession, you know, developing apps and creating apps. So then, which like eight years later, um, it's kind of I kind of remember all that, and then so then I wrote a play about these two girls creating a dating app for themselves, you know that. So they could get a date. <laughs> um, Love it. And yes. by the way, listeners, that play is really good. It's called Grace and Jeanette Like White Guys. It's hilarious. <laughs> you produced it. Um, yeah. I love it. So you, that's, that is an approach you would recommend? Yeah, just have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Go on a date. <laughs> Download that. Um, I will never take um, that research approach. But just like on your, on your bio or like on your uh, – dating app bio you could be like are you a so-and-so i'd love to speak with you are you a doctor i'd love to speak with you (laughs) oh my gosh well listeners we did a couple of polls on instagram and one of the things we asked people was do you typically do research before starting to write a play uh or do you well yeah this was just kind of the overview question and uh Mm 78% of people said yes 22% 22% of people said no. This is a very unscientific um, cross-section of our Instagram followers who happened to see our poll, but I thought that was interesting. Mm. Most, most, of our, most of our answerers said they typically do some research before they start to write a play. But also, um, 60% of those respondents said that they do most of the research throughout the process. So, like, it seems to me that People do some research um, before they start writing, but that the bulk of the research happens kind of over subsequent drafts. Yeah. And that I think that makes sense to me that regardless, beginning or during the writing process, you're researching. 
Especially, I feel like if maybe your play is, uh, yeah, based on a historical event or, you know, what you said, like a, like a, or a scientific research or that's developing as you go. Like, I'm sure right now there's so much on coronavirus, like, or people are like, oh, this virus. And then, uh, but like, there's all this information we don't know about the coronavirus as a developing. So if you're out, if you're one of those people that are like researching and as this new information is coming out by the millisecond, um, good luck to you. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think I would be kind of, I don't know. I, I kind of hesitate to say this, but for, I'm like, what about people who just don't do any research on Yeah. At all. Um, and I'm curious about what, what that writing is. Or is it just purely creative and self-reflective maybe? I don't know. Or just based on relationships? Well, I think... You know, there's so many different kinds of plays. And I think if you're just writing about your own experiences, Mm -hmm. um, then maybe research is not as necessary. And and then I think about people who, um, you know, have lived like rich and varied lives and been in lots of different circles and, you know, lots of different jobs and, um, are kind of writing from all those experiences in a way that life experience is also research. And so um, maybe, maybe they don't feel like they need to, you know, go to the library and open a book um, in order to write their play. And then also I think there's a lot of like um, plays that are just more personal and, um, Mm-hmm. you know like I just think about like the family drama maybe doesn't require as much research mm-hmm. but I just know for myself especially having the internet available I mean I could be writing a scene and decide to mention something about like I don't know a maple tree and then google some fact about a maple tree and like three hours later i'm reading some jstor article about like <laughs> the history of like the maple industry in canada yeah i mean i just like yeah. i find that i do so much research and maybe only two percent of that ends up in the play i think that's one of the hardest things for my students to learn um particularly if they're writing like research papers or, um, you know, I, I guess I find this more with writing essays than with writing fictional pieces, but um, they get really discouraged if they do a bunch of research and it, it doesn't end up in the final pro- product. Um, so, but something I've had to learn is like, you just, you don't know when you're doing the research what's going to be useful. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think... And I feel like in the beginning, if it's just purely brainstorming, you're just kind of collecting. I feel like that's, I feel like that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're just you're acting purely out of curiosity, and you're just mm-hmm. trying to find things, and um, and yeah, with all the information that's out there, 
it could be overwhelming. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I find one of the hardest things though is when I've done a lot of research, how to incorporate that research into a play uh, without making it sound super explainy or yeah. expositional. I, like I really struggle with this in my play Andre Circling Camps because there, um, the Bonus Army March, which was a march of World War One veterans um, in 1932 in Washington D.C., is um, is like a really forgotten chapter, and nobody, certainly nobody of our generation, very few people of older generations, know much about it. Um, and so I was really struggling when writing this play with like, okay, how much do I explain? Like how much do I need to teach my audience about this? Um, and how much can I assume that they will gather? And like, who's my target audience? Mm-hmm. How much do I want them want to assume that they already know? I don't know if you dealt with this at all in writing Monopoly, about like what you want people to already know about Detroit or what you want to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, with Monopoly, I think I I didn't really go into like the politics about the city. Mm-hmm. The, the story was so much about the kind of the consequence, the uh, what you know what's happening with the life of these two sisters mm-hmm. based on the current situation or like what's what has happened to the city. So, but that, so it was more of a backdrop and the sort of um, little bit. I use it more for like the world building, but I never really got into the politics because I just wanted. I think I think more than anything, I just wanted the setting. I just wanted the, yeah. the, the, like, I was inspired by, like, even the colors of, like, what, like, a dilapidated building looked like. You know, I was kind of, like, just looking at that as visual. Yeah. And, I, and just inspired by that. Um, okay, but, well, then what about, okay, I'm thinking about your play Trick. Uh-huh. Um, which is, the, is about this character who has this, condition that causes her to pull out her hair and I remember you definitely had some moments in that play where you're like um teaching the audience about what that is but it it felt so smooth and not like expositional Mm. I'm just wondering about how you did that yeah I think that one it was honestly I think that came through the rehearsal oh like you could you could hear it like you could hear when it's like Oh, mm-hmm. this is very like someone sounds like it looks like they're reading from an index card, you know, like oh, <laughs> mm-hmm, that's felt mm-hmm. like so. I think in the beginning, I did I just like put all that all those information in there, like I overwrote like obnoxiously <laughs> in a way that mm-hmm. was like, and then I just started trimming it from there to make it. I think that's what I did for that play, um, and I think I do that for, um for a lot of my plays or like even the screenplay I'm writing is just I'm kind of over explaining everything right mm-hmm. now and then because I'd rather like over explain and just be expositional right now in the beginning and then so that I could start taking away where I feel is repetitive mm-hmm. um yeah yeah 
makes so, that's, so much sense. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think hearing it out loud was so helpful. Like That's kind of really reminding helpful. me of, um, <clears throat> we looked at this article by Jake Wolf on the fine art of researching for fiction and mm-hmm. listeners, this is such a helpful article, even though it's about fiction, I think it's really applicable to other genres. But one of the things he talks about is um, once you have a draft highlighting in blue all the research that you know as it appears in your story or your play and it that kind of sounds like the same process as as hearing it out loud in the rehearsal room and like noticing Mm. what sounds like a fact you know yeah what sounds like a wikipedia article as opposed to um two characters in a genuine moment Mm -hmm. yeah and i i really like that technique that jake was saying and that highlighting it um so you can just like see where all the, the information is at or located in your work, um, mm-hmm. which just seems like a very helpful way to organize. Um, yeah. And another part of that article, which I really liked and we talked about before the show was the two truths and one lie. Mm. Uh, I really like that idea that uh, you have this writing uh, a way that sounds like the two facts or like the two um, truths of a historical event or whatever that thing you're writing to make it sound like it's believable in that uh, reference. So I thought that was interesting. I like that. Um, yeah, playing a little game with yourself. <laughs> um, and the cool thing was the in the example he used, he brought that story into his fiction workshop, and the professor mm-hmm. and he put he put the lie, the thing that he had invented that sounded like the other two facts. He put it at the opening of his story and the mm-hmm. professor said, this is the kind of thing you just can't make up. <laughs> and then he felt really great <laughs> about fooling everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, we also looked at this article by Katie Bender, uh, who wrote this article in the Playwright Center about writing plays for the future inspired by the past. And she takes a really cool approach to research where she just kind of gathers artifacts from historical moments like recipes and speeches and um, I don't know uh, photographs and things like that and uses those kind of as a collage to mm. build um, plays that are set in the future um, because it can give it that ring of authenticity or ground it in reality um, to tie something to an event that's really happened. And that kind of reminded me of Margaret Atwood's fiction. Like she often says that none of her novels are purely, you know, imaginative or speculative, that everything she writes about in her novels is based on events that have really happened somewhere in the world. Mm. Um, So like when you think about The Handmaid's Tale... Um, which is so dystopian. Um, So many of the things that are really horrible about that society are based in fact um, that somewhere in the world, somebody has done those things to people. So I thought that was really interesting. As you were explaining this, 
I had this like vision, like a visual of a, a writer um, having like two, like a vision board <laughs> for mm-hmm. their work. But also like as I was thinking about um, like conspiracy theorists, you know, on the, they're in their wall and they have like diagrams and like yeah. lines <laughs> and like pointing at things and like who did what, you know? And yeah, I was that's like, even watching so many documentaries <laughs> about true crime. <laughs> I know. But I was just thinking like, yeah, be a conspiracy theorist for your own work. Ooh, <laughs> like, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. be your own uh, theorist. Um, like, look for all the connect, the hidden connections and yeah. secret meanings. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Handmaid's Tale is so creepy. I mean, I the, the way that she writes, um, I it's like, I, when I when I watched the show and I like read the book, I was just like, man, I see all the connections and then, but the fact that we, the way it takes place in this futuristic world, you know, that's mm-hmm. like, but not too far, just not too far, right, from our current. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, it makes it so creepy and scary. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really like that using artifacts and, and being inspired by that. Um, yeah. And then there's the other link that you um, shared with Uzan Howlround. And it was on dramaturgy and the research, uh, and and this article like it shared um, kind of useful links. It seems mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. I I never thought of the so the few of them just naming a few, but um, Wikipedia is one. But as sort of like a starting point because there's mm-hmm. a lot of information, and I think it is useful to sort of ground yourself in a, in a place where it has that you could kind of see everything and the way it's organized. It's like okay the 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 career the personal and you know just kind of has everything about um an event or uh, a person's life and i think that's a good starting point then another link that i was like i never thought about and i didn't know that we had access to it was the library of congress yeah um which i am probably going to uh explore today just kind of go on the website um but that's interesting yeah, and it, what's so great, too, is if you're ever in D.C., you can just go in and, you know, look at, like, all of the documents they have in the library. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty strict about, like, you're not allowed to take any pictures, and it's such a beautiful room. The main reading room is so gorgeous, and um, photographs are banned, so <laughs> um, yeah. that's always, like, oh, this is a secret, you know, um, but, yeah, you can just go in and you can read all these documents that are there and are these documents um what are they well they have all kinds of things I mean they have lots Mm -hmm. and lots of books of course um like all kinds of books Mm -hmm. but the thing I found really useful when I was working on my bonus army play is that they have all of the records of like every congress session ever you know and what everybody said (laughs) you know in the debating of a particular bill um, and you know, everything is entered into the historical record. Um, so that's what I was looking at, but they, you know, of course they also have like every copy of every newspaper ever published in the United States going back hundreds of years. And, um, they just have so much, they have so much. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I think a, couple, a lot of yeah. that, yeah, is also available online as well. Mm-hmm. 
If you're interested in what a some senator says, <laughs> just look at that. <laughs> um, uh, and then a couple other links was like the Theater Communications Group and American Theater Week, which I'm f- I've heard of those. Like I've, I'm familiar with Theater Communications Group, but American Theater Wing I've heard, but I never looked into. So, I mean, there are quite a few resources out there. Um, you know what I started to wonder about? I started to mm. wonder about like Shakespeare. <laughs> How did Shakespeare do research? You know, because he has so many historical inaccuracies mm-hmm. in his plays. He just like wildly yeah. invents and, you know, um, I came to the conclusion, Sam, that he was a witch. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, the fact that he had so much insight to fairies, I was like, okay, he <laughs> <laughs> he knew some uh, interesting, fantastical creatures in his lifetime. So he's a witch. <laughs> Do you think he summoned the ghost of uh, past kings, and that's how he was able to write plays about them? Uh yeah, I'm sure he had dinner with them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. I want to write that play, Shakespeare the Witch. Shakespeare the Witch. Yeah. Um, the Ouija board. I'm convinced that he was a witch. But I but when you asked that, I was thinking about this, right? Like I was thinking about all the research that we do. Um I think it especially when you're like writing a story in your play, like I think it, the in the research information I think where it comes to really comes to play for me, I think is the world building and like mm-hmm. the, the setting it all up. But I think what takes us through to the very end is the, the relationship, the drama, the conflict, you know, the personal, you know, the, the point of views and the conflicts from there. And are they going to make it? Are they going to resolve this? Are they like, I think that that comes from you, like your attitudes mm-hmm. or, your experience kind of all coming into play and you as you're asking this question questions and trying to resolve it by the end. But I, I so that's why I feel like I, I I don't know who said this. I think it was one of the playwrights in our program, but this person was like, I'm, I'm just gonna I just read everything and then I just let it all go. You know, kind of like oh, mm-hmm. I like absorb everything I read and then just, I really just let it all go um, and just go for it. You mean um, in the writing process? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it kind of made me think about that a bit. Where Well, sometimes that's the hard thing is like, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to change how things really happened in order to make a good, compelling story that concludes, that resolves somehow within 90 minutes, you know? Right, right. Yeah, totally. You said something about an outline. Do you want to talk about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I was like thinking about we have all this information. You're starting to find things. You're like copying, pasting things. Like, so how do you organize all this information? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think what I've done, not always, but it's just one of the many ways, I guess, but I, you know, get a text document, a Word document. I just find things. I copy and paste certain lines or 
like a date, historical facts or whatever um, definitions, whatever that may be, and start mm. just collecting into a document. And then I, from there, I think I find if there are things I'm like, oh, this is kind of interesting and I'll, maybe I'll write on it for a bit based on that line, fact, information. And then I think that's where I would start creating an outline to help organize all this um, or like create myself a template, you know, like, oh, what, act one, act two, act three. And then like, where would all this information land or I may or may not use in which part, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that's what I do. And I was just thinking how um, I've come across writers who know how to use Word document or like Microsoft Word, like a language. Like they know this language. They're just like adding what do you comments. Mean? Like, you know, they know like almost every function of the word. Like I never knew these shortcuts. Or God, I never knew that this, that the Word document could function this way and it's like they know it so well the tools right Mm -hmm. um and so i that's another thing is like sometimes um maybe the programs that we're using maybe we're underutilizing it and there are ways to really you know Mm -hmm. use it into our advantage in a way that's i just have this like visceral allergic reaction to that as you're saying it (laughs) (laughs) i know no i know i mean i I only know like certain but i was just like thinking about just there are probably some ways that's helpful um yeah i I mean i know logically you're right but i'm like (laughs) i'm gonna go back to paper (laughs) the printing press um yeah so funny oh my gosh but yeah I just I mean it's all this technology and all this tools that's just for us and I feel like they're just ways to uh use it to our advantage to make it easier yeah, you're, you're right you're right you're right um yeah so that's just oh yeah so hyperlinking things you know so you're not like oh where do I like save this as pdf and then you're like where is this pdf it was just hyperlink it or i don't know yeah because sometimes it's hard to just hold it all in your mind yeah it really is and i think that's what i meant like creating an outline or um having this a document like let this be your mind map type thing where all your thoughts are here in a way that's organized for you that makes sense Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. um yeah. I love that you had an allergic reaction. <laughs> That's great. Well, Sarah, yeah. what are some plays you love that incorporate research? Um, so one that really came to mind as thought about this was the one that we read and we talked about on the show was um, The King of Hell's Palace by Francis mm. Yachukawig. And I, I think that play does such a fantastic job of, of, taking this event that happened in China and um, and really beautifully written like poetically and it's like without um, not over explaining or anything but just but also giving us information that we need to tell the story of like bring us this context yeah. but then as it's like Francis as a writer, was able to just create this beautiful world out of this. Um, So that's what, yeah, yeah, it came to mind that, uh, 
Because it really didn't feel like, when I was reading it, it really didn't feel like, oh, I'm... I mean, it did feel like I was learning about a chapter of history I didn't know about, but it didn't feel Mm -hmm. like I was reading, uh, you know, a textbook. You know, it it felt like I was reading a story. Um, I think that's a really good example. Yeah. Do you have a play that you love? Well, I'm thinking Mm -hmm. right now, of course, I always come back to one of my top favorite plays, which is One Flea Spare by Naomi Wallace, which I know we've already talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am also thinking of Carol Churchill's work, um, like Mad Forest, which is her play about the um, the about Romania, about the Romanian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And she, I believe, um, went to Romania and spent some time with all these uh theater students there as she was developing this play and um you know did interviews and did a lot of kind of firsthand research and I think it really shows in that play she just captures the atmosphere of the place so well um but yeah Mm. but even I also think about like Susan Laurie Parks's father comes home from the wars, which mm-hmm. is about the civil war, at least the part I, I saw, which was parts one, two, and three. Um, and the specificity of the time period and, um, you know, the, just kind of like the forces that were at play. But of course, when I think about that production, also I think about the costumes, you know? And so, I guess shout out to like all the designers and dramaturgs who do the research that makes the production feel specific and true as well. You know, yeah. it's just one part of it. Um, this was a, a solo performance, but uh, maybe think of it, but it was John Leguizamo's, show it's like American American history for the idiot or something Mm. and it's you know him basically giving this presentation like a professor like there's a chalkboard and he's just like writing out all the facts the details about like Latino history and then and how they came to America and what like American perspective is on it you know and and it's still a play because I'm sure it was like written and it's like he performed it and there was these moments in the show where he um kind of reflects and has like a conversation with his son or like child and being like like hear what's going on or like here's the attitudes i'm feeling or you might think of this you know like so mm-hmm. if, if there was this, a storyline that kind of goes through but i think about that and i was like yeah that's very informational and like there's all this like years and dates that he kind of constructs at the beginning but it was very entertaining and 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 I think it was just him because he's a, a very charismatic performer. So you're like very mm. drawn by. So that's another thing I feel like that's an element to theater that we kind of forget is like the bodies on stage and the actors that they could sort of right. that could you it, it it might just completely change uh, your play in a way that you're like oh you know you might feel it's performative or like you might feel it's like too much information expositional but maybe the performer and the direction could kind of not feel that way right that could be possible um yeah just to throw that out there <laughs> yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So we, what were some stories from our followers? What were some uh, thoughts from our followers that, um, that stood out to us? Well, I love all the different sources that people mentioned using mm-hmm. for research. Um, Psychology Today, WebMD, JSTOR. Of course, I love JSTOR so much. Um, of course, Wikipedia. Um, Tanuja, one of our previous guests, uh, her, I think she had my favorite um, answers to where, what sources do you use. Um, she said, my body and people, <laughs> uh, which I love. Mm. Um, just like, I think, but I think part of what that makes me think of is just like kind of trusting your own experiences and mm-hmm. trusting that the way you move through the world and the people that you're in community with are like just as valid a source of information as some academic article. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I just love that. Yeah. And it's so funny as you're saying that I also thought about um, like your senses, like, you know, mm. you see, you smell and taste like, I think we all know what an apple tastes like, <laughs> you know, like I, we don't need to go research what an apple tastes like or just like having those experiences. Um, so but there's so like, much to learn about apples though. Oh God. Like legit, I wrote a play about apples. What have I done? <laughs> I should have said the apple. The history of apples in this country is fascinating. Okay. Thank you so much, Sam. <laughs> Everyone, if you're interested on her thoughts on apples, just ask her directly. Don't 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 involve me. I, I won't take up any more time on our show about apples. Uh, um, one other thing that stood out to me for me was uh, Olivia, which was another previous guest on our show as well. She how she researched regards to devising work, and mm-hmm. I love this that she sent actors home like an exercise or something, and they and see what they come up with, and then the next rehearsal they'll like share what they found or findings and collaborate something on that. And I thought that was interesting because right again, um, just to kind of open our thoughts of what play is, is that it, it's not just sometimes it's just like, Oh, on your computer and research and reading, but it could also just with people like with um, other collaborators and you're like creating them together and you're pulling your findings together. Um, uh, so which I, I think I love about theater is just that it's kind of could be anything, however, in what ways you approach it. Um, so that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all to say, you guys, that there's no research. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> there's no such thing as research. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, there's no, there's not one way. Research isn't just one thing. Yeah, right. Mm. yeah so uh we hope that was helpful in some way i I mean i really love this yeah i love the thoughts i like i so curious about other people's approach to uh research and what they just how they discover things and information and how they organize so i'd be curious yeah all right. Well, shall we move to glistens? Heck yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Sorry, you want to go first? I'll, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> my glisten is Michelle. 
M I C H E L L E Michelle. Um, Michelle Obama. What's the name? Michelle Kwan. <laughs> Michelle McNamara. Uh, Michelle. Like I, I just been like, uh, <laughs> I've been discovering so many Michelles in the last week or two, and I'm just so impressed by the Michelles that are out there that are just doing their thing and being bold and telling their story. And I'm like, wow, you, Michelle, what a great name. That's my glisten, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, Michelle Obama's documentary is so good. Have you yeah, read her book yet? I have, yeah. I read that. Oh when I read the book. It's so good. Uh, really, oh, she's, she is so remarkable. And if... And people need to stop pressuring her to run for president. Don't put her through that. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, let yeah. her live her life. And she did her time. She did. She really eye. did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If she wants to become president, that's her choice. But no one should pressure her. Nobody. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, though, like, I don't think she's she would ever give in to that pressure, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. She's, she's fine. Totally. She's fine. <laughs> she's fine. Yeah. Well, so what's your um, Sam? My glisten is I got a wool blanket and it is life changing. I love it so much. Um, I it's just like wool. It's so amazing. It grows on sheep, and then like you shear it off, and then they grow more. Uh, and sleeping in a wool blanket, it's like I don't get too hot. I don't get too cold. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm just like. It's isn't it hot right now? It's summer. No, but okay. Well, first of all, Maine is not as hot probably as like ninety percent of the rest of the country. But also, even when it's really warm, like I do not get too hot under a wool blanket. I don't know. It's just this magical ancient substance that's like perfectly temperature regulating. And Hmm. um, I don't know why I waited so long to get a wool blanket. Probably because they're expensive. But like now that I have one, Uh I'm obsessed with it. And it's not itchy? So I got one. I got this wool blanket from this, like, local (laughs) small farmer in Maine. And she sources her wool. um, It's, like, specifically apparel-grade wool. Um, Mm. So, like, there are different grades of wool. And, like, rugs are made from a wool that itches. But you can get wool that's meant for clothing that doesn't itch. So, no, it's very soft. It doesn't itch at all. And the other thing she told me is that um, a lot of a lot of times chemicals are used in the processing of wool, that, and that contributes to the itchiness. But um, but oh. she she doesn't she like I mean okay it's amazing she like uses salt water to create the dye. <laughs> it's like she like she uses the ocean water. Anyway, so no, it doesn't itch. Hmm. Does she have a website? She does have a website. Oh okay. I'll send I'll it. Check it out. Yeah cool um well that was our show thanks for listening everybody thanks for listening uh remember to like subscribe share um we are not on facebook anymore folks just want to shout yeah, out good riddance good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> um personally uh it i've been wanting to get off facebook for a while um Sarah, but, do you still have a personal account on Facebook? No. Oh, you I, don't. I got off it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, but I think so much of my uh, work or stuff that I was doing and um, community type groups that I was involved in, especially comedy, like I was in so many things, but during this time I was like, well, you know what? I'm not doing anything right now. (laughs) And uh, maybe this is a good time to take advantage of this and get off it. And, Mm -hmm. and if people need to reach out to me, they have my email. So and Instagram, so whatever. Um, but yeah, just a that's all to say that. Yep, yeah. <laughs> sorry guys, Becca's face is off uh, Facebook, but uh, we have our website, we have our Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on those things for now. <laughs> Until you can soon. find us, you can find yeah, us. you can find us, you can find us. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. Have fun researching. Yeah, yeah have fun researching we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>